right, we're in. Screen Heat Miami. Yes, sir. Post MLK weekend. Yes. How was your holiday? Holiday was great. Yeah. We had a good time last night at Nappy. The opening of Natpy. National Association for Television Production Executives. Am I getting that That's correct? That's it. Produce. Yes. Yes. An annual event that's been in Miami for a few years now. It's been seven years. Yeah. The yeah. biggest television event in the world. It's a conference. It's a market. It's a party. <laughs> a lot of parties. <laughs> that's what they say. Miami. It's not an event unless it's a party. Oh, yeah. Live nightclub. You know, just before the Super Bowl, we got a little sneak peek at the venue. Pluto had a huge, and we talked about Pluto uh, last last podcast. That's Pluto, right. Pluto had a, a huge presence. Yeah. It looks like they're ramping up. They weren't, they, I think they were the banner sponsor. They were, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the streamers are taking over. Obviously, Netflix is there every year now. Amazon, of course. Hulu, all the big ones. YouTube had a very big presence. You know, they're still around, but it's like the, the digital Yeah, streamers. Google. Yeah, it's just Google. They're still around. You know? Google's around. <laughs> I, I, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I don't think they're having any problems. But Pluto did have a huge presence on the back of everyone's badge. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the streamers. It's branding. And for our listeners, if you want to find out more about Pluto, listen to our last podcast. Oh, yeah. And we talk a little bit about the history of Pluto and how Viacom uh, purchased Pluto for $344 million. Yeah. And now, you know, that's a big presence. Yeah. I mean, it's not Star Wars money, but it's still a good chunk of change. Well, you know, my last $344 million, I just kind of wasted it. So. I thought that was your European vacation. <laughs> That's Wasn't exactly that, that what was that was. Your travel budget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, All just right. threw it away. Speaking of brand, this is Screen Heat Miami, which is brought to you every week with your hosts... Kevin Sharpley. JL Martinez. And the sponsors... That's right. We have, of course, Cinevision. Every time on the mark. I'm getting it. Miami Media and Film Market. Kajik Multimedia. And Gamacol. Yeah. So we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about every episode. Yeah. But uh, do you want to intro our host today? Because I know you you did a great job interviewing this gentleman. Interview. Yeah. So this is really cool. Um, Michael Arcos. So he's one of my favorite emerging filmmakers. I discovered, and you're going to hear in the interview, I actually discovered Michael before I even thought that I had discovered him. Because he worked on a film that I really loved called Biscayne World. And Biscayne World was the feature or the short film debut of one of Miami's most prominent artists, A-Hole Sniffs Glue. And you'll hear a little bit more about it in the interview. So Michael was a producer on that film. And I just love the dynamics of that film. And I'm a judge for the Miami Film Festival for their short film competition. So I was introduced to Michael um, not the last film festival, but the f- film festival before last with one of his shorts that I just fell in love with. And I ran into him at the Borscht Film Festival that just happened. And he actually had a film in the Borscht Film Festival. And now that film has gone on to Sundance. So nice. he's headed there. Yeah. He's headed to snowy Utah. I know. We've got a couple of our Miami films making their way up there. Right? Yeah. But uh, congratulations to Michael Arcos. He's uh, from here. He's a Miami homegrown talent, so we love, love it when we see our folks doing those types of big things. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's exciting. It's from the ridge. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we have a, a documentary feature, uh, hometown filmmaker as well, a good friend of ours, Kareem Taps from the O Cinema. He's the co-founder of that really cool art house cinema. He's done a few documentaries. 
Yeah, and I'm a Kareem fan. Huge fan. I just sent him a text, and I remember we showcased one of his films, Dolphin Lover, mm. when uh, I was doing the Miami Film Month. Yeah. But, you know, Cherry Pop, yeah. his first uh, doc. Most recently, he did The Last Resort with uh, his co-director, Dennis Dennis Scholl. Scholl. Yeah, that w- that's on Netflix. And then... Great theatrical release there. Yeah, yeah. Great platform there. And then now he's got his new one called Mucho Mucho Amor, which is uh, an iconic Latin character, a person who has been part of, I think, every Hispanic household for the past 30 years. And non-Hispanic, because I would watch Walter Mercado. You did? I did. D- did you have subtitles, or you just kind of understood? I, I tried to extrapolate as much as I could. But who... <laughs> Who could resist that energy? What a personality. He's like the sun. Universal. I mean, Walter (laughs) Mercado was really an icon of our culture, of our people, universally appealing, Uh, just just an incredible human being that had such an interesting life in terms of what he did, reading those horoscopes and then just becoming, you know, almost like a, a... a star unto himself. Yeah, an icon. A constellation. Yeah, an icon. Uh, and, you know, tragically, unfortunately, passed away late last year. Uh, Before the documentary. I mean, just a couple of months ago, yeah, actually. Just, just a few months ago. He had his uh, big opening. Uh, he had an, an exhibit, I think, at the Cuban Museum or the Latin Museum here in Miami. And then, uh, yeah, unfortunately, he passed away. And you know, Puerto Rican. Yeah, Puerto Rico. Uh, and so Kareem was able to capture some of this. It's going to be a beautiful documentary. And, and everything he was able to cover in the life of this really interesting human being. So. We're looking forward to having Kareem here on yeah. Screen Heat Miami. Oh, yeah, he's going to be there. He's, gonna he's a good friend. His, he'll be dancing this weekend, and then he'll come back to Miami, sunny Miami. And, <laughs> we'll have to give him a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we got to give a shout-out to our friends from Borscht. Yeah. Their feature, Omniboat, That's will, right. will be premiering as well. Their first feature. Yeah. Yeah, they've had 17 shorts, so they've had, I think, one of the biggest runs in terms of collectives and shorts representation at Sundance. Yeah, so they're doing great. Yeah. So, 305. 305. Keeping is, it live. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to do this right there. That, <laughs> He's doing yeah. our 305. That's right. <laughs> and every other area code in SoFlow. Yes. All of them. 954-561-786, which actually is Sun, if you didn't know that. Yes, I did know that. I actually found that out just two months ago. Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> it is crazy and, and cool. I don't know why they're not promoting that. That's like, come, come on, what are y'all doing? Y'all slipping. Well, the they need to hire Kajik Multimedia. That's what happened. I think we need to get Pitbull to write a 786 song now. <laughs> and then maybe there you people go. will talk People will want to have that, that 305 yeah. area code. Everybody Ar- wants it. There you go. Armando, you if can you're sell listening, them. the sequel, 786 Anthem. And also, we, you know, we want to get you on Screen Heat. Oh, we'd love to. That there would be go. great. We'll go over to uh, to Slam a couple blocks away, and we'll do it at, at your fine facility over there. Cement it. Love it. It's going to happen. So let's talk about SAG. Yeah, before we get to SAG, though, I just want to let our listeners know we're going to talk more about Sundance next week. Oh, yeah. You know, we want to see what comes out of Sundance, you know. It's going to be exciting. Winners, everyone's a winner, you know, but we want to see first, you know, what happens there. So Love it. And um, one of my executive producers is going to be there on, the, there on the ground for one of my documentaries. So Love it. A little inside there. Better see another. Maybe we'll get another premiere. Our good friend here, Kevin. Hey, you know, we got to come out with our things. You got to put it into the universe. There you go. And it'll happen. Yeah. So so we're going to move on to the SAG Awards. Let's talk about screen heat. Woo. Them SAG Awards. I'm still looking at these pictures. Let me. There was some fire. Oh, yes. Fire. Some fire. and Nose and skirts. Oh, man. So, so yeah, if you didn't know, the SAG Awards were this past weekend. Uh, very interesting nominees. Obviously, these are also one of the predictors, they say, of who could potentially win the Oscar. Yeah. At least in the motion picture categories. Obviously, if you're in television, 
Not going to happen. <laughs> Not yet. Anyway. Well, you know, they're all combining and yeah. colluding, and it's ancestral at this point. So, so speaking of, um, yes, Brad Pitt did win in the Best Supporting Actor category for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He killed that. He totally, de- that role was just meant for him, I think. Yeah. He actually even said, he had a line, I think, in his speech, like, you know, it's a movie about a guy that gets high, takes off his shirt, and uh, didn't really do good by his wife. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, cut to Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston, Aniston, who kind of did that little lean-in, and then she ultimately won for her uh, her Apple series yeah. and gave her own little speech. Brad was in the green room, and apparently he stopped everything to watch her entire speech and got a little teary-eyed. Yeah. And there was an exchange. There they green-roomed a, it up. There was a moment. They green-roomed it up. Oh, Brad. <laughs> Just when I thought I had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, so much of this industry, I know the artists don't tend to want to talk about personal, but this is the type of stuff that does create the buzz, you know. Two Hollywood luminaries, they were married at one point. Yeah. Now they're sharing the stage, you know, uh, award winning actors at SAG. That photo. Oh. The photo that's breaking the internet. Increíble. Caliente. Ah. This could be a telenovela. It could. I oh, it. I do have to give a nod to the morning show. I've been watching it. Yeah. It is. Good? Phenomenal. Worthy of the hype? Jennifer Aniston, for me, this is her best role. Wow. Yeah. Really? She takes it there. Oh, man. Yeah? Yeah, I'm going to have to put it on my list now. Dynamic. Another show. That list is just too long. Another streaming show. (laughs) Can't keep up. They're taking over. But SAG Awards, we have to give it up for Gregory Allen Howard. He has been true to the course and Cynthia Arrivo mm-hmm. cutting through the noise. Oh, yeah. Nominated. We did mention that she was nominated for the SAG Awards. She was nominated. Yeah, yeah. she uh, she lost to Renee Zellweger, who won for Judy. Yeah. Judy did a magnificent performance. Yeah. Though. But she did get the nod. Yeah, but the nod. And now Oscar nods. Yeah. But really, you're looking at Harriet and you're seeing that Harriet is the movie that's carrying diversity on its shoulders oh, yeah. it's that little underground railroad that could <laughs> little yeah, underground yeah. Train that could. yeah it's a it's a quiet quiet revolution there no it is and i'm, I'm very With excited. one actress one actress carrying it you know but very similar to joaquin phoenix who also won by the way for joker uh who really carried that film as well yeah that speech he carried every actor on his shoulder too ah yeah that's yeah. congratulatory mm. but to the max Oh, yeah. Speaking of HBO Max. That was a script. That was like a monologue. I'd like to thank my mother. Right. I'd like to thank my cousin. Every single actor that's been nominated ever in the history of the SAG Awards, because I'm on your shoulders, too. Wow. Yeah, like, he would, I mean, it's an actor performing in front of a bunch of actors. That was a big performance. In, a, in an actor's award for actors, by actors. Yeah, but so. he, I mean, he did the same thing in the the last awards. Yeah, but I think he in the probably, Golden Globes. He was a little extra this time, a but, lot extra. Yeah, good for him though. You know what? He's he enjoying. Should get a SAG award for his award speech. Can you get that nominated for that? <laughs> the, literally, that would be so Hollywood <laughs> if they actually had. We got to make that happen. An, let's create that Academy of uh, acceptance speeches, <laughs> and then we literally the following year, you know, just so you can keep the party going. If you did win, you could automatically get 
considered to be nominated for your acceptance speech. You heard it here first. Yeah. Another I, Screen Heat Miami exclusive. Oh, yeah. Bring the thunder. <laughs> so, so yeah, very interesting night for the SAG Awards. Again, this is one of the predictors for the Oscars. Does that mean that Joaquin Phoenix is a lock now officially for the Oscar? Does the other actors even have an outside chance? We don't know. Well, there is another outlier. 1917. Mm. So they're saying 1917. This is a predictor for 1917 to kind of take it to the head. Right. They kind of snuck in there at the last minute and just building steady <laughs> momentum ever since. Snuck in. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I definitely think that that film has a great chance of uh, of doing some some damage at the Oscars for sure. And, and we're getting close. You know, it's just a couple weeks away. we got to get through uh, another weekend. The Indie Spirit Awards will be the day before, the week after the, uh, the Super Bowl. And then we're going right into the Oscars. So, yeah. That train is rolling. Oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) It really is. So speaking of rolling, we're rolling along and we're going to roll directly into this interview. Oh, yes. Maybe Michael Arcos is going to be on that stage one day. As you can hear from the interview, he is one of my favorite emerging filmmakers. And maybe we'll get a word from him after Sundance. We'll have to see. Let's do it. So here is Michael Arcos and we'll be back on the other side. So we're good. Here we go. All right. Michael Arcos. Hey. What's going on? Is that right? Is it Arcos? Yeah, yeah. Close enough. Arcos. Arcoiris. Arcos. Yes. This is great to have you here because we are in the 305. We're in Miami. Mm Mm-hmm. But you don't live in Miami. Grew up out here. Yeah, Cutler Ridge. Now it's Cutler Bay. Maybe Palmetto Bay a little bit. Are you in Palmetto Bay, technically? Um, This is, like, kind of Pinecrest-ish, okay. you know, yeah. or so. But um, for purposes of this podcast, we're going to say The Ridge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's Keller Ridge. The Keller Ridge. Keller Ridge Middle School. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Middle School, everything. Which I think this year is the first year where they're actually changing it to Cutler Bay. But they still have the Cutler really? Ridge sign. Yeah. Oh, mm. it's always going to be Cutler Ridge to me. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, so you went to Cutler Ridge Middle? I did, yeah. And then for high school? Southridge Senior High. Southridge yeah. Senior High. I went to Killian. Okay. Yeah, kind that was like a big rival. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big rivals. So were you born here? I was actually, strangely enough, born in Syracuse, uh, New York, upstate New York on a snowy night. But uh, came here, my fam- my dad got a job uh, as an accountant at a hotel and lived at that hotel for a year before they found the house down in Cutler Ridge. So, oh man, I, it was all sweet life of Zach and Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with that reference. Oh, you're not? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, that was a show on uh, Nickelodeon where they were um, living in a hotel. That's right. They were living in a oh, hotel. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I should watch that. Yeah. yeah, I learned to swim in the pool in the hotel. Somewhere down, like Biscayne-ish area. I think it's still there. It's a, it was a Marriott, I think, at one time. But Oh, really? Yeah, but it's now something else. Like, yeah. Man, you have a connection to Biscayne. <laughs> did a film oh. about Biscayne. Oh, we'll yeah. get to that in a minute. Yeah. So, in the 305, raised in the ridge... Off of Biscayne, when did you know that you wanted to get into filmmaking? 
So yeah, lucky for me, um, my father is like a pseudo documentarian and always had like home video cameras around and just entirely documenting uh, myself, my brother, and you know, just even like him with my mother, just like traveling and stuff, just like eight millimeter, you know, high eight, uh, VHS, um, th this kind of thing. So he has like a crazy archive of just like my entire life, which is kind of a beautiful thing, but um, yeah, so they were around, you know, maybe a camera that he bought off like an infomercial or something like that, <laughs> and, like a Canon little handheld thing, you know, a DV. Right. So like me and my brother would start just making movies with like He-Man toys and Barbies and stuff. And from there, just got used to that lens or seeing through that lens. So I think that's something that... I always, cinematic language. Totally. I think that's something that I always give, you know... A shout out to my dad for having these things around because it, it was just accessible to us. Yeah, that's yeah. like uh, the story of five out of ten filmmakers. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't so. know, man. I just made that up. <laughs> but you know, like the you know they see the equipment, yeah, they just yeah, start, yeah. you know, and they start to understand, you know, the visual language because right. it is a visual language at the end of the day. I mean, it's auditory too. It's a lot of different things, but definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, when were your first films? Shoot. Uh, so Southridge Senior High, I to get out of like being in like physical physical education or like weight training or something, I took like the television production. Class. Yeah, that's also the filmmaker story. <laughs> Getting out of PE. <laughs> and uh, it was great. Uh, this woman, Mrs. Berg, rest in peace. Um, she seemed to immediately like believe in me and like think I had like a talent within editing and just like getting people's attention, I guess, and like making them laugh or whatever and uh she luckily like really put ingrained that into me she's like this is something that you should you know do and she also was one to like write me passes to get out of like other classes and stuff so i spent a lot of time in this television production studio um just experimenting and messing around so from there i think like little videos or like jokes that were you know videos in reverse and stuff like that people were into it and uh, from there, I just felt as though I had a voice in the medium somehow and um, kept going. Yeah, you know, uh, we had Brett Potter a yeah, couple yeah, of yeah. weeks ago. And, you know, Brett is down with the Borscht Cause 100%, Festival yeah. and also, you know, production company a, and, and many things. filmmaker, too. Yeah. yeah, and they put a little word out about you. I didn't that, see that. You actually. didn't see it. I saw it. So it's destined to be. It must be on a platform that I don't have. So I, I have. I've got. The I think Facebook. it was on the Insta. I think it was on their yeah? Insta stories. Yeah. Oh man. Maybe. That's I don't know. Shitty that I didn't give it a like or something. Uh, <laughs> well, you know it is you, so you know you like yourself, right? I mean, it's good enough. I have faith. Yeah. But you know, on that quote, they said that you have been doing films since the '90s. In the ridge, yeah, one hundred percent. It was it was a uh, just challenging myself in this place that was completely like void of any culture like that. You know, sure there was like it wasn't a film program. There wasn't at all. You know, and it shared like my outlets were like you know the underground like Hispanic punk scene and like we would throw parties out in the Everglades with like a generator and stuff like that. So that's how we like you know got our rage out and whatever. But. For me, I also like translated that into film, and my friends were super supportive. And I wish I think it's a beautiful thing, you know, like Biscorp, Borscht, you know, what's happening right now. It's like that would have been an amazing outlet for me uh, growing up out here. 
because yeah. it was just like maybe a group of like 15 of us that were even like attempting at trying to do stuff like in the that. rage but yeah yeah wow i like christine brache she's an amazing uh poet and filmmaker she she was a year younger than me but we're always just like grinding and like after hours and like the television production studio making kind of yeah strange stuff well, a little bird told me that you made a film called Angel Eyes 2, <laughs> J-Lo's Innermost Secrets. <laughs> That's probably a very corrupt and demented bird. But the Angel Eyes 2, J-Lo's Innermost Secrets, started as a, a joke and um, attempting at challenging to make like a sequel to a film that we hadn't seen before. M- me and my good friend George Michael Parker, who's like a sound designer and a you know, brilliant artists in his own right. But um, yeah, we, we just kind of got excited by writing kind of these tiny scenes for a, a feature sequel that we've never seen before. So we it was a Jennifer Lopez movie, which I've still never seen. You've seen it? I've seen it, seen yeah. It? How, I mean, well, I haven't seen you your write? film. I, I'm not going <laughs> to say anything about it until I see that film. Right. And then and then I'll have some yeah, commentary. Yeah. Maybe we should. Is that film somewhere that. around? Is it like online or anything? I, so I only distributed maybe like a good a hundred or hundred fifty copies, just like in mailbox slots or like. Oh just man, like it's a limited run. Limited only on VHS. So I know a lot of people. Oh, unco- unco- I gotta get that. I'll, I'll I have a couple copies left. I a couple that are like it. warped and like destroyed, but. I'll, if you have a player, I'll send you one for sure. I have a VHS player. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I have to. We do documentaries, so, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get a lot of archive footage, you know, VHS stuff, you know, DVDs or totally. whatever. Okay, cool. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, I'll send it. It's it's, it's around it's Christmas rough. time, so it's, that's my Christmas gift. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely send you one. It's super angsty and, like, yeah, like, really harsh, but, yeah, that's where I was at that time, I guess. Well, you know, I want to fast forward, and then, and then we're going to go back, but I just want to fast forward to my introduction to you as a filmmaker, because you're one of my favorite filmmakers. Oh, thanks for And, well, you know. Appreciate you, dude. Thank your mama. Thank your daddy. Yeah, for real. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I am a judge for the Miami Film Festival, so I judge the shorts, and I saw your film um, the year before last, which... But this was the year before last? Or was it last yeah. year? It was last yeah. year. It was in like the... No, it was the year before last because now it's 2020. Right. right? So, so it feels like it was yeah, last yeah, yeah. year, but it was really um, the year before last. So this is my favorite mural. It was one of my favorite films of the festival period, whether it's like... You know, feature length, because I don't see any differentiation between films, you know, short, long, whatever. Film is a film. And, you know, I fought hard for that film to be the winner. Oh, man. But I want to talk a little bit about that film. Uh, thanks, man, for saying that. I mean, I, I am conscious that it's not, a, you know, a short for everybody. For me, I was like, I feel like I come from like kind of a history of like experimental narrative and you know that's the kind of stuff I, I was interested in and making and I kind of wanted to challenge myself to get into documentary territory mm-hmm. so I am the kind of person that really likes to like hide behind the shadows like phantom style behind the camera and don't really like interject myself into my Kino pieces or th- this kind of thing you know like <laughs> so for me I got excited about making a documentary from the perspective of a fictional um character or a fictional documentarian and amateur you know filmmaker or something like this so really uh it was something i said in passing to my um uh old collaborator betsy holt we're in a car 
together, or I've been thinking about it for a while. There, there's airline highway on the way to the airport from uh, in New Orleans, where I currently live. So you live in New Orleans, though. yeah. Now yeah. I live in New Orleans, and um, there's this beautiful mural of this man holding tires. He's sitting on a tire. He's ambiguously Hispanic, kind of. I like modeled my mustache after him, and like totally fell in love with this mural. And I kind of just like. I want to go find this artist and make a short documentary about the origin of this mural. And um, just kind of intuitively and naturally, it turned into something else. But yeah. Yeah, it was genius, actually. It is, you know, so I recommend anyone to see it. Is that one available yet anywhere? I should put it. I should just put it out on Vimeo. I think it. Yeah, it's about time. Yeah, it, yeah. Has it gone? It's I, going I, to. It's going to festivals though, that, right? Up, up until the most uh, recent project, it was my most successful short, and um, yeah, I'm so happy that people see kind of yeah. the underlying language behind it. It went to the Miami Film Festival. How many festivals did that one do? I'm not sure. I want to say it was like under. <laughs> maybe like 18 yeah that's which great is, which that's is a great amazing yeah, yeah yeah i think the biggest festival it played was the la film festival which unfortunately no longer exists it was like their, their oh. last year yeah. but um uh let's see what else yeah the new orleans film festival which was great to have like a kind of a hometown showing and some international spots uh, the one in scotland glasgow what else Oh, nice! Yeah, it, which is a great. How was that? Festival. It's amazing. I've been. We went with uh, Biscayne World. Oh and, yeah. Um, this We're gonna talk about Biscayne World. I didn't want to get there yet, but that's okay. <laughs> you broached it, so. Yeah, uh, we, we that was our introduction, and and luckily, it was a. Uh, supported by Knight Foundation and we you know just like wanted to go and we're also like within the budget we're able to like put that in and, and all go whoever worked on it like oh yeah they hold myself and like Marnie that was amazing so that's a festival we were there and like I loved it so I, I always submit to them the Glasgow Short Film Festival great yeah you know this is something because I said that my introduction to you as a filmmaker was this is my favorite mural but that's not true because I didn't know that you worked on Biscayne World. <laughs> so that really was my introduction to you as a filmmaker. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 It's definitely the brain of, of, you know, like a-hole and we're trying to construct around it. But yeah, I feel like I had, uh, you know. Yeah. Collaborative. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of collabs out. Totally. So. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly it really felt like the inside mind of a-hole oh my god and yeah. listeners the um the artist that we're speaking of his name is a-hole sniffs glue he's one of the biggest artists from miami period and if you haven't seen his work which i'm sure you have seen his work um we're gonna put a little something on him on the website and i keep cajoling michael about what's online because we want to put something of his on the website too so oh, we'll sure. see what it yeah, is yeah, yeah. if i get that vhs tape <laughs> i'll transfer it i'll send you some stuff yeah but i, I love biscayne world thank you and, and 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 the reason why and this is also a reason why i love your films because they all feel so personal you know like they feel as if the representation is coming directly from your mind you know so that's great with Biscayne World because it really does feel like a-hole's mind it feels like um, you know it is pseudo 
documentary too, though, oh, right? Totally. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With his characters, you know that he he drew the characters and then they animated the characters and, um, yeah. So that takes me to the film that you just had in the Borscht Film Festival. If anyone doesn't know the Borscht Film Festival, uh, go back and listen to our interview with Brett Potter, who's a chair there at the at the festival and also at Borscht. And it just happened uh, in December, just in December. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> You're the one that's drinking. <laughs> so, um, so the film that you just had in the Borscht Fil- Film Festival Valerio's Day Out. Mm-hmm. Valerio's Day Out. Yep. It was a. Uh, I didn't even know that was your film when I saw it at the amazing. festival. But it's yeah, good. tell me about that one. Yeah, this was like a purely obsessive, compulsive project. Um, I live in New Orleans now, like I said, and live maybe within a mile's distance from the Audubon Zoo. And uh, my roommate at the time. Uh, showed me a physical paper, the New Orleans Advocate, and the headline was Jaguar escapes his enclosure and goes on a killing rampage. <laughs> There's something really like fear mongering, you know, like, and uh, I just was obsessed, you know. It's alluding to the to the idea that potentially the you're thinking immediately humans are slashed or, or this kind of thing, but the, you immediately find out that he escaped his enclosure. He's a three-year-old young jaguar named Valerio, escapes his enclosure and goes on a killing rampage within the zoo. Right. And um, Not with people. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, I kind of just like identified with Valerio and got obsessed with the story. Um, at the time, was in a long-distance relationship with, with this lovely We have a guest human, here. Human being. <laughs> uh, what's your name? Daniela. Daniela. Oh, we were having a great conversation just a minute ago. You're in the industry. Sure are. Scoot up. Get in here. I mean, in and out. Lurking in the back. Yeah, but you're. You said interesting. She's doing something that's awesome. That that's really well needed. Tell me. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm a media archivist, so I just finished school at NYU Tisch in the Moving Image Archiving and Preservation Program. So. Media archives field, preserving film, video, and born digital art. Man, which is amazing. Actually. That's amazing because yeah. your, we have a film of yours that needs to be archived. <laughs> it's yeah, on and, VHS. And just like understanding the level of filmmakers like putting out content and not really knowing the longevity of like hard drives and this kind of stuff. Like yeah, you know, just being exposed to like the knowledge you know has been. Really well, you helpful. know, another thing is. When we started this podcast, which this is like going into our fourth month, we talked a lot about the streaming services and really how this day and age is about content because, you know, they start these streaming services. You got to get content on Mm -hmm. the streaming services. So they're pulling content from wherever they can get it. And this whole kind of touch point on the archive and getting all the content from the past has become even more important. And you can see, you know, all of these big media companies tapping into the, I mean, they are like down to the bottom of the well of their IP, their intellectual property, trying to, you know, bring this stuff back out. But I am a real big supporter of, there's been such a shift in our 
industry. Martin Scorsese kind of touched on it that they're not making the same kinds of films or it's harder to make the same kinds of films that they made, you know, back in the day. You know, even in his days, you know, 70s, 80s, you know, into the 90s, 60s. I mean, he's making the films, you know. Mm-hmm. He's Martin Scorsese, he's an institution. But I think that he said that as a champion for filmmakers that are coming up because, you know, it's not a secret all the air is being sucked out of the room by kind of these bigger tentpole films. So, what you're doing is now even more important. Than ever, for sure, vitally important. It's an incredible uh, profession that I'm happy to be part of, and, and still learning a lot about. But okay. I don't need to be in the center. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to bring you <laughs> back. I told you I was gonna drag you in. We gotta bring you back, but it is important. So I'm glad that at least you gave us two minutes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so back to back to Michael, and you're gonna archive that film, right? We have to make sure that that's you know the VHS copies. Yeah, we got to make I sure mean, that. Yeah, that's, you said you have like a bag of the original VHS elements that you sourced. Angel eyes. And by the way, I haven't seen it. Yet. Oh, we should you go look me. at it. It's at my parents' he has closet. Like a somewhere. duffel bag full of VHSes, like, like labels and yeah. You know, commercial content that he used to edit and cut it up. You still gotta see that movie. Yeah. Well, you heard it first on Screen Heat Miami. <laughs> Duffel bag, a VHS. Yeah. In the basement of the Arcos. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so um, we're gonna get back to Valerio's Day Out. I didn't even know when I saw it at Borscht that it was your film, but it was one of my favorite films there at Borscht. Um, Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about... We're we're maybe halfway through understanding this film. Let's get to the other half. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, painful, long-distance relationship with this human over here. And uh, as a pseudo-love letter, I just kind of stream of consciousness kind of wrote... Uh, diary entry from the perspective of Valerio just like how I was feeling how it made me feel how I think he would be feeling and attempting at like humanizing and uh, Jaguar which is uh, absurd to begin with but it was a lot of fun so I wrote uh, and scrolled um, crudely a diary entry in like a black and white like cat book and then sent it to to Daniela in the mail and uh, from there I I you know, I challenged myself to make, you know, video and, and, and movies. So I kind of thought it would be interesting to attempt at making a video diary from the perspective of Jag- like this, of Valerio. So I went with that and it was an entirely intuitive process. And, you know, everything from attempting at finding the voice of Valerio to really understanding how it would be shown. Would this be an animation? Would this be live action? Am I, is it going to be documentary? You know, I bought spy glasses. I went to the zoo. I went to like to try to talk to people about stuff. And, you know, I thought that was an angle, you know, an approach I was going to take. But then it's pretty straightforward, like kind of post escape, post uh, sedation, you know, from from the perspective of Valerio. Yeah, Valerio's yeah. like, I couldn't help it. <laughs> it's in my nature, basically. It's a beautiful thing, actually. The Audubon Zoo, you know, like the next day they came out, obviously had to let everybody know what's going on. People are just like, so what's up with Valerio? Did you kill Valerio? And I think it, it's a very beautiful thing. They made a statement. It's just like, hey, like, this is our fault. 
you know, Valerio was doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And, you know, he probably had the best day of his life. Right. That's right. Yeah. But Valerio is still alive. Valerio is still alive. He is four years old and he is unfortunately, in my opinion, not looking in, in the most like happiest of he's just like pacing and you gotta show him the film oof I need to I need to (laughs) I was lucky to get an award for this film from the New Orleans Film Festival and it's like a physical beautiful uh, award with an alligator like I wanna bring it to you yeah take the award you know piece of meat hey you're my muse I definitely brought him flowers and threw flowers into his enclosure but he's just pacing Uh, he's like waiting or looking for the next next escape (laughs) a sequel which but Valerio's day out it it continues that it has life because it's gone on to a pretty big film festival now right I'm yeah I'm completely honored I mean like I believe in you know my work and love to add many layers of, of what it what they're you know saying and I'm very happy that that people are kind of reading into these kind of underlying all right we're, we're waiting on bated breath what festival is that <laughs> so um, I got a lovely phone call while I was at the Kukaloris Film Festival, actually, uh, that I, the film was accepted into Sundance. Wow. Which is incredible. Like, seriously, almost broke down crying, like, feeling seen, you know, like, it's, it's, it's wild, you know, like, that's the, the festival that, you know, you, you want your, your The North set. American Film yep. Festival. And, um, you know, just like, I've, pre- you know, it's like early deadline submissions like $50 for short film so I've been submitting for the last like five years and it's I, yeah I, it's like I don't even have words for it it still is not until I'm there in the cold with like maybe like a fox fur coat on or something like that uh, I'm gonna believe it yeah you got a live web stream into Valerio's cage 100% yeah <laughs> or I gotta bring him out there bring him on the red oh carpet. man I don't know he might go on a rampage <laughs> you paint the snow red might be the yeah. human rampage that time <laughs> Yeah, when you say paint the snow red, that's right. Might wet it up. <laughs> that might, might that might not be too cool. I don't know if that yeah, if that's. I don't know work. if they yeah can get them to go for that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what you're working on now. So um, I don't know if I went into this already, but uh, yeah, for Valerio's Day Out, I and you know this is my favorite mural. I approached it as kind of documentary, my like foray into documentary. Uh, cinema and attempting at understanding the language uh, of that and what it would take, you know, with this amount of footage versus like narrative when it's very like, you know, these are the things you need. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty sure I made a submersive uh, documentary with uh, Valerio's Day Out and submitted it to all the big uh, documentary festivals and got rejected <laughs> from pretty much all of them. And um, yeah, before I, I realized I should pitch it as like a Jaguar slasher and um, then the more genre festivals like uh, Fantastic Fest uh, played at, which was incredible to be at amongst like contemporary heroes and just show in a block that actually like made sense, you know, with it. And um, yeah, so then I had a lot of people who re- luckily really, really liked Valerio's Day Out and were just like, hey, what are you doing next? You know, do you write? under the umbrella of genre like what are you into and you know I kind of I grew up on like Romero Lucio Fulci and you know I, I like the all the you know Lynch Kareen Round of July stuff like that but like I never actually challenged myself to write under the umbrella of horror or genre so I got excited about doing that and um 
have been obsessed with this piece of land in in New Orleans that I'm not going to go too too much into because I don't want to like just like let it all out. But um, it's a perfect setting for like just like a grimy, swampy uh, horror film. And I got excited. I was like, let me, I don't want to do your typical like slasher, haunted house kind of things. I do want to play with tropes in horror. And I do want it to be kind of like over the top gory and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I got excited about making my own genre within the horror realm. And uh, not only will it be like a psychological horror, dark comedy, I was like, let me be under the umbrella specifically of disaster porn, because that's something that I'm really excited about. And like how the me- media, like fear mongering media is and like us growing up in Miami and even New Orleans right now for me is just like how the media handles like uh, approaching hurricane or tropical storm, you know, category three to category four and like how you know just like in your ear it is and how people i i love that stuff so i was like let me incorporate that into this this thing kind of drawing from the 1927 mississippi flood to like hurricane katrina and like play with that area but and make my own rules within it so that's awesome yeah, yeah because I, I really do love you know filmmakers that are able to go in and to hate to say redefine but define a genre on their own terms so it it just happened recently with joker you know i mean todd phillips really did when you watch the movie you know you don't really feel like that's in you know that comic genre but it is though ultimately i mean it is the joker but and and christopher nolan you know he kind of did it you know back with his uh batman but you know when they go in and they really infuse their sensibilities you know Mm -hmm. and so i'm excited to see what you do with horror one of my favorite films um i'm a big rob zombie fan so you know house of thousand corpses you know and you know that whole it's a trilogy actually um you know it's great to see you could really feel his signature in those films oh totally so you know this is a this is exciting to take this path and this journey. We'll yeah. have to have you back when you're finished with that film. Super excited. Yeah. The way I've been kind of pitching it is if it's like, you know, characters from a Todd Salons movie find themselves in like kind of Lucio Fulci horror show. Oh, awesome. Like a, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you um, when you actually go into production, I'd like to come and spend a day. Yeah, it's going to be it's and I have the location kind of locked and luckily got some uh private funding to push it you know until to kind of get it into a place where i could understand the language have some like visuals and uh then go from there and try to get you know proper funding for it and stuff yeah that's all you need is a seed once you get the seed then things have a tendency to start to roll so totally i'm yeah. ex- i'm totally obsessed right now it's like it's it's happening we're going back to new orleans and we're just going to be grinding on it mm-hmm. yeah so i just want to talk about new orleans because you were so raised here yeah. in Miami. How long have you been in New Orleans? New Orleans going on seven years in February. Yeah, that's a while. Yeah, yeah. And it's been good to me. It's consciously, you know, like, I love Miami. This is, like, my flavor. Like, I will always, you know, have roots here. Always, you know, still make work here. But uh, New Orleans is a very special, mystic, kind of dilapidated, um, beautiful mess. And I've been... Uh, very comfortably living there you know just like lower cost of living and you know this kind of thing which is a very conscious choice for me i needed to like 
not just be struggling, you know, to pay the rent and, you know, focus more on the good work, I guess. Did you move to New Orleans for filmmaking or actually you just um, like throw a dart at the wall <laughs> actually i i uh, threw a dart at the wall and ended up in a trailer in south georgia thomasville georgia lived there for four years and it was that was also oh wow kind of a more extremist uh conscious decision to be in a place that was like super low cost of living and at that time i was more like trying to teach myself sound design and um teach myself how to play different instruments and make my own sound for for the, the films I was working on and stuff like this because I know I've always been conscious of that being a huge factor within cinema and I always am in touch with that so I was in Thomasville Georgia kind of doing sound stuff making movies here and there little, little shorts and um, I had a group of friends that bless their hearts just were like what the fuck are you doing in Thomasville Georgia we're moving to New Orleans get the fuck out of here so it was like it was more like that yeah and it wasn't I, I've always been kind of fearful of New Orleans to be honest because like alcohol is my poison you know and it's uh, like a yeah. big drinking city yeah. and I was afraid I'll just be like kind of like sweaty in the corner with like empty whiskey bottles and stuff but uh, that or on the street <laughs> yeah no shit but uh, no it's, it was actually like really good for me and really good for you know my what it inspired me I made a lot of uh, shorts there immediately started writing and um yeah, taking uh, cinema more seriously there. This is cool that you brought up sound because I personally feel that sound is kind of half of it, you know? Totally. If you have bad sound, just forget about it, you know? Your yeah. image can be, yeah, kind of wonky. You can edit it. You can, mm-hmm. you know, but if your sound is kind of wonky, then you have some issues. We had um, Carlos Rafael Rivera, who won the Emmy for one of my favorite Netflix limited series called Godless. Oh, so, nice. I yeah. have yet to see it. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah we had him uh, about a month ago. So you have to go back and listen to that one. Um, oh. And you have to see Godless as well. Like, amazing, amazing, amazing uh, show. That actually, you know, was one of those, you know, turn this genre on its head kind of shows. Love it, yeah. But um, it's great that you took the time to learn a little bit more about that part of that's a storytelling device. The sound of it is a storytelling device. So, um, you want to? Did you learn some instruments? Did you already know instruments? Yeah, I mean, I taught myself how to play drums uh, fairly on. Um, my parents were sweet enough to allow my brother to my younger brother to get a drum set. So it was just in there, and um, or when they work or whatever, I was I was playing. I was like. Uh, middle school like band geek I played trumpet so I kind of knew a little piano drums trumpet fell in love with like woodwinds deeper uh, woodwinds like uh, bass clarinet you know um, bassoon stuff like this like I just love the sound of it so you're multi-instrumental no I don't play bassoon (laughs) I don't play woodwinds well but I I, I did like fake it I could fake it I could fake it so I was in this trailer in Thomasville, Georgia and I just was surrounded by instruments that I knew how to play like mediocrely sounds like kind of funny like a horror film in itself (laughs) I mean I mean some people like my parents came and were like freaked out you know they were like is everything okay yeah right but it was a beautiful piece of land and my landlord at the time was this amazing mystic uh, redneck guy oh uh, yeah named hyper religious named Rusty 
And uh, we had a great relationship, had a bunch of cats on the land. Yeah. It was like a blackberry field and a pecan grove. Oh, wow. So we, oh, that's awesome. It was sweet. It was, it was nice. Yeah. It, sound, it looked like a horror show, but it was actually really Yeah, it sounds, sounds cool. Yeah. We, um, we just opened up shop in Georgia about a year, a little bit over a year ago, my company. Oh, awesome. So, you know, I have, and I actually lived in Atlanta, you know, when I was younger. And I lived in Kentucky, too, Louisville. That was really, like, uh, kind of, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I do have a love for the South. So totally. That's pretty cool. Same. But, uh, New Orleans, so you've been in New Orleans for seven years. How has that shaped? Let's just talk about how the New Orleans aesthetic versus the Miami aesthetic, you know, shapes your storytelling. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the lay of the land and the landscape for sure, you know, is something that, yeah, you know, Everglades swamp, you know, down south Redlands. We have that. It is swamp in Miami. We, yeah, yeah. We have like so we invasive have a little cane, bit of cane toads. We have you know the lizards and everywhere. But um, yeah, New Orleans. It. I mean, I, I. That's the place I started taking you know cinema seriously. To be honest, I wow. wrote. Um, my first narrative short that I was like, I want to do this nice and clean. I want to hire a DP and let's do this thing right. You know, and it was a dream throw with uh, my collaborating partner at the time, Marnie Ellen. And dream throw. Dream throw. Which if you haven't Love seen that I'll, name. Send, I'll send it to you. That's I, another I one I got to see. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. send you that one. Um, and that was one that, you know, it was uh, in some topics I wanted to deal with. And um, so it's pretty straightforward drama. Some people see it as a romantic comedy, but I, I tempted at making it. It is drama. whatever you say it is. So. But, uh, yeah. So from there, it was immediately I started writing under, you know, narrative stuff and didn't stop, I guess. Okay. <laughs> New Orleans set it off. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, and from there... It's when, like, Borscht was also, like, on the uprise, so it was, like, a nice kind of back and forth, and um, Lucas uh, Leva from Borscht saw uh, Dream Throat and was like, dude, this is, like, people need to see this, and it gave me a lot of, you know, support and, and energy behind the project, so, yeah. Yeah, Dream Throat came before Biscayne World, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. Biscayne World was right after, actually. Oh, right after. Right, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, it was, like... David and um, Julian, who um, kind of introduced me to to uh, the Borscht crew, and uh, yeah, I've been working with them uh, ever since. Wow! Yeah, so you've been working with Borscht for how long now? Luckily, um, working with them since then, I guess. Uh, 2015, 2016. Yeah, they oh, okay. hosted Dream Throw is like a whole installation piece. It's like intended to be screened inside of hotel rooms, and uh, it takes place from the perspective of like if the te- if television was kind of a lens, and like looking at the bed and you know like the you know the rose watercolor painting on the above the bed and this kind of thing so it's like kind of creating like a parallel image you watch from the bed on the television kind of in that reverse perspective but so they were they at Borsch 9 they brought the kind of hotel room installation oh uh, yeah 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 I did something like that for one of my projects you know we filmed in a hotel room and then I commissioned an oil painting that was in that same hotel room and we had the actors and the actresses and we had like a, a party there in that hotel, oh, like an event great. there in that same hotel room. So you're watching the thing that's going on and, and it feels like it's a, in it. Yeah. Exactly. That's nice. 
or that that was the idea. You never know what people take away from things, you know. That's and then great. you know you're drinking and doing <laughs> stuff, you know. But yeah, so I kind of understand that it really does give this feeling of becoming a part of the the story, you know. So that's pretty awesome. So you're in New Orleans. You came back to Miami for holiday. Yeah, yeah. Um, How do your parents feel about your my work? Your Okay, your work, but also, like, um, your come up. You know, your come up in your career. I mean, luckily, they're very supportive, you know, and they're the people who I... And Dream Throat, for it, you know, given the name, you, a lot of people just call it Deep Throat. They just call it... <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to say it. But, like, um, <laughs> it's definitely playing. If you approach it's, it. It's definitely playing on that. It's, like, very hypersexual and graphic. But uh-huh. um, my parents are, like, the best you know, first view for all my work just to kind oh, of wow. get their perspective and, you know, and hear what they have to say because I get totally lost in it. And I know I, I luckily have a support system of people who understand my work and my brain to an extent. And I, yeah, so they, I, they're, I've been lucky. I mean, to be honest, you know, they're, they're very supportive of my work and don't necessarily love or understand all of it, but they, you know, I we'll see. I I, th- I still think that they don't know it could be a sustainable job. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, it's cool. You know, now you're like in you know in Sundance. That is a launch pad for so many filmmakers and so many um, storytellers. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Miami. But it is your home, so I'm not welcoming you back to your own home. But uh, I, I do definitely have to make it out to to New Orleans. Dude, anytime, so yeah. whenever you're um, when you decide you're going to start production, oh, let yeah. me know. Yeah, we're I'll come we're out for a couple of days. Preliminary stuff this month actually, but you know we're hoping to get you know proper funding to make a, a feature. So um, sometime this year, okay, yeah, should come through. Okay, yeah. I might have to carry some cables or whatever. All know? right, so I'll take, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> that's I, that's the way it works, right? I'm going to get a call in you know the the dead of the night, like hey Kevin, remember? I need your help, please. Go over <laughs> right, but um, thank you for coming around the holiday times you know you're headed out to the beach about to go to the beach wish I was too yeah so enjoy the beach Kevin thank you for having me okay we're looking forward to uh, your Sundance premiere and the next film and we will revisit soon alright alright oh any any parting words no sing a song like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to all the listeners and yeah yeah <laughs> happy 2020 happy 2020 there you go all right, we're back in. That was a great interview. Congrats, man. You knocked it out once Saw him early on. Yeah. You want to see them early. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever see Kevin Sharpley on the streets, he has an eye for talent, so. <laughs> and we're going to see. I know his career is going to take off. So yeah. I'm very happy about that. And what's really cool is that he came with Daniela Calle, who is an up-and-coming film archivist. That's a great, interesting career, man. That is really important. It's more important now than ever. Oh, of course. Because, you know, you heard how we talked about now, you know, it's the IP wars. So everyone is mining mm. all that intellectual property. Yeah. But it's as important to ensure that that film history is archived properly. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. So many gems out there that now are, you know, almost 100, 100 years old that if we don't protect that, 
that's that's legacy. That's our it's a history. And what industry do you have? This is the best industry to do that. The that, walls come yeah. crumbling down. Oh, I know. So that was really cool that she came along. So yeah, we have yeah. to give her a shout out. Definitely shout out. Thank We're you. We're gonna for, watch her career too. Yeah, that that's important work. Maybe she can hook up with Scorsese at some point. That's a big deal for him. We talked well. about that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So yeah. That's, okay. That's, that's that's gonna be cool to see if those two folks maybe maybe there's something there. Younger, older, bring it home. Bring it home. And we're going to link them. Yeah. So, so bringing home this diversity issue. Yeah, let's get into this little diversity issue. Yeah, you know, I mentioned before in our last interview that I spent uh, some time with Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who was the president of the Academy for Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. She told me about the big push towards bringing in a more diverse field of mm-hmm. Academy voters, members, the membership. And they did that and still are. But was it reflected in this Oscars? Maybe not so much. Right. And I spoke on, you know, some of the challenges, of course, you know, having projects that are of that particular production quality Hmm. and these opportunities. Right. And, you know, I had a, a Hollywood reporter from about two months ago with the studio heads. Which it's great that there are two women, you know, but the cover also has four men. Right. And none of them are people of color. Right. So I oftentimes think, you know, it is a double edged sword. Are the opportunities available to produce the type of content that then move on through the pipeline? to get connected in the award season. That's an overall challenge. It's not just, are we finding films that are going to be nominated for the Academy Awards? Are those types of films being created? Right. That's yeah. And, and I think, we, you know, we were talking a little bit off mic, like, you know, we seem to always hone in on the award season as to, as sort of the scale, you know, to judge whether the diversity initiatives are working or not. But, you know, I, what I always say is like, this is the Super Bowl, you know, like it doesn't start here. It ends here. So I think really, yeah, the diversity issues have to start at the ground level. It has to start with, you know, we want more female director nominees. What percentage of female directors are in the DGA, you know? Yeah. So if, if I think if we widen the pool of potential candidates, whether it's women, people of color, minorities, et cetera, et cetera, uh, then I think we have a better chance of seeing that across the board. In front of the camera, behind the camera, at the studio level, the executive level, like you said, the major heads of these studios, it's very limited still in terms of that diversity. So what kind of a studio media company corporate push has to come? Because that will also reflect itself into perhaps what types of projects get greenlit, what types of filmmakers and stories get told. Yeah. And the audience is clamoring for it. Yeah. And you see it time and time again. Yeah. Movies of diversity are Knocking them out of the box. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, look at our our bad boys. Bad boys. What you gonna do? <laughs> they gonna do a hundred million dollars. That's what they gonna do. That, that's what they done did. <laughs> <laughs> Opening weekend for Bad Boys Three. Bad Boys for Life. Now at a hundred and million, hundred million dollars worldwide. Far beating the expectations. That's a big January. That is for huge. Big Willie. Will's fifth biggest opener, Martin Lawrence's biggest opener, 
Bad Boy's biggest opener. Yeah, great for Martin. You know, great for the young directors that took the helm. Yeah. For Michael Bay. You know, like, this is really an interesting time, you know, to see this kind of movie doing so well. Yeah. You know, so it's it's awesome. Yeah, and of course, There's back the, to the 305. Back to the 305. So, yes, big shout out to all of our friends who worked on the cruise, who worked on that project here when they were shooting in Miami. So, yeah, just an awesome movie, and I hope the franchise continues. Yeah, and that is, you know, shout out to diverse audiences. Yeah, no, definitely. There has been a controversy in diversity, though. Oh, yes, we're going to go back to the Oscar controversy a little bit, and this is an interesting one. You know, as we all know now, uh, Antonio Banderas was nominated in the acting category, and originally by the American media was positioned as one of the few quote, people of color to be nominated. To which, of course, there was instant backlash because, as some of you may know, Antonio Banderas is uh, Spanish, uh, from Malagos, I believe. Uh, you know, so technically it could be considered just a white European actor. <laughs> I just it, saw Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, yeah. Pedro Almodovar movie. Yeah. I saw it two weeks ago. A young Antonio Banderas. Yeah, so... He didn't speak English then. No, but so the question then becomes is, you know, how are we actually identifying, you know, the, the if if something is considered uh, addressing a need in terms of representation? You know, so does Antonio Banderas count, even though, you know, the semantics of being called a person of color when you're, you know, a white European from Spain uh, versus, you know, the fact that here, the Spanish language that's associated with you know, the Latino culture, the Hispanic culture here. So is that a push towards diversity or is that still considered just part of the normal Hollywood milieu? You know, where do we see that, you know, in terms it's, it's, it's a difficult question. Yeah, but certainly there needs to be more stories of color. Right. You know, and you, you look at that. But then is that considered a story of color? Antonio Banderas doing a movie about Spain in Spain speaking Spanish? Yeah, that, so that's not, you know, that's a whole different thing. So, yeah, know? that's what I'm saying. But, you know, there are interesting lines, I think, that, you know, because, and, and there was an article that says, you know, that, that race is more about, than just about color. It's also about culture. It's also about where you grew up, you know. Does that mean everyone from Miami can be considered a person of color because we're in such a culturally diverse environment? Uh, I don't know about I, that. I don't know, but yeah. it's a question. Yeah, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, it is more to do with cultural specific storytelling. Right. I mean, here you have Marriage Story, for example, that really... Uh, has done well in the award season. Yeah, it has. It's done really well in the award season, but it's the type of story that I've seen over and over and over again over many, many years. Culturally diverse is are we exploring, you know, different neighborhoods, different ethnic ethnicities. Right. Different types of stories that we haven't necessarily seen from ethnically diverse backgrounds that encapsulate this experience, right. you know, the experience, you know, here. Totally agree. I mean, you know, got to go back to to our, you know, big Oscar winner here, Moonlight, and how that explored a particular Miami neighborhood and subculture that we ordinarily would never see in a, in a major motion picture. Yeah. So, a film from Spain, it explores that background, but the Spanish background. Right. You talk about Parasite. Which was a first, you know. Again, considered, you know, a film of color or, I, I guess, right? Yeah, but, I mean, yes, we're learning a little bit about 
that particular background, but it's not necessarily related here. Right. So that's the thing. So if Antonio Banderas, let's say, were to play the father of a Hispanic kid in Chicago. That's different. That's different. So that, you know, so it also depends on the particular role in the story that he's telling, you know, whether or not it can be considered culturally diverse within the American, I guess. Blue. That's right. Right. Versus the international, which could yeah, be Yeah, totally because the Academy Awards, I mean, they do have a foreign language category. They do. You know, um, as do many of the awards. They have foreign language categories. Mm-hmm. So that's something else. You know, I'm very happy that Parasite, which is, you know, one of the best films of 2019. Right. Had a first. Sure. And I think that that tradition should continue. You know. Yeah. The, an incredible film is an incredible film, no yeah. matter what language. But you certainly want to, when you talk about diversity, Mm. it's not necessarily that the representation has to be more of this or more of that. But at the very least, you know, what is the demographic makeup of the country? Right. And that should be reflective. That should be reflective not only in the films that are made, Mm -hmm. the content episodic that's made. It should be reflective in... The executives on the executive level, mm. the filmmakers, mm. you know, half of the country is women. Yeah. Half of the country is men. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that reflective? No, so. I agree. I agree 100 percent. So, yeah. But again, I think that that definitely starts at, at the grassroots level of the industry, of the medias, who's responsible for telling these stories and also for putting them out there to really, you know, seek out these diverse stories, these diverse artists and really give them the opportunity uh, I said it off mic and I'll say it again on camera. Look, I, I do believe personally that, yes, in this country, in this great free country of ours, we should be allowed. Everyone should have the equal opportunity. Equal opportunity, yes. But we should not be guaranteed equal success. Whoa, man. I'm going to have to turn that. the mic off on that. So if all things are, if everyone's on. <laughs> I the- heard the music. <laughs> There's some music. We're going to have to put some music in that space. <laughs> Put that quote on the website. Totally. So I mean, maybe I'll tweet it later. So so yeah, essentially that's what I'm talking about. It's like if there's a level playing field, if there are equal opportunities, yes. Obviously the best performance regardless of background, the best movie regardless of background, that should get the nod, that should get the win. But we need to also ensure that everyone has the at least the opportunity. And once you've established that, then may the best person, project, etc. win. Yes. I think that uh, you have something there. You know, I mentioned Marriage Story. Did you see that movie? I saw it. Okay, this is not going to be popular amongst the critics. Uh Uh-oh. I didn't like it. Just drop a bomb. I just felt it would... That's the bomb. You dropped the bomb, man. I I didn't connect with it. Maybe, you know, I I found it a little kind of dry, a little boring, you know. And I feel like the complaints echoed in the movie, you know, they have one kid. These people have successful careers in New York. They get to go back and forth between L.A. They're living the artist life, dream life, working artists in a nice place. They got one eight-year-old kid who's very quiet. All he asks once in a while is, oh, daddy, mommy, can you just lie next to me because I don't want to sleep alone? And they're going bananas and they can't handle it. And it's too much stress. Like, you want to hear a real marriage story? You come to my house when I got three kids, six, three, seven months. An Italian wife, and I'm Cuban Puerto Rican. That's diverse. Just the dinner argument alone could have made the marriage story, <laughs> I think, more interesting. How much Parmesan cheese to put on the pasta? Oh, man. Not too much olive oil, just a drip. 
That's diversity. You poured too much. Now we got to start all over again. <laughs> now the kids are hungry. How do you say that in Italian? Marriage story. Eh, tanti difficili lavoro di sposato oh, per me. That's a Fellini film. Per tutti. Film. Grazie, amore. Ti voglio tanto bene. But yes, that to me would be like a Fellini style, just like throwing the spaghetti at each other On and the, the kids running around crazy and you can't put one to sleep and then the other one wakes up every two hours and I'll shoot it in black and white, very kind of noir. Oh, right. You know, yeah. I'll walk around like, like you know, like, like, like Joe Pesci and, and you know, uh, in that, that boxing movie that they did with De Niro and Raging, Raging Bull, Bull and just be sitting there, hey, what's the matter with you, huh? You gonna eat your food? Eh? You won't be married no more? What's the matter with you? Oh, shit. You know, and then she'll be like, hey, cosa vai? <laughs> you know, then that, that to me is a marriage story. Right. And then to see that survive and thrive. Puffin' cool, though. But this was like, all right, we get the, the lawyers to get involved, yeah. And then I'm going to go to my mother's in L.A. And you can come visit. And life is so hard. You know, I just got this amazing MacArthur grant. And life is going so well professionally. <laughs> but the I'm inner turmoil. going to have to hang out at this beautiful luxury villa in the San Fernando Valley. Every By time. myself. I want to see my... <laughs> I, I, I couldn't take it, man. Take it. You know, I love Noah Baumbach. No, no offense. You know, I like the Meyerowitz stories. His other Netflix movie. He's done a bunch of really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I think Adam Driver is a great actress. Scarlett Johansson, of course, great talent. Didn't respond to the material. Well, we can't like everything. You can't. But in this year, yeah, the farewell. Yeah. Do you think there could have been a swap? Yes, absolutely. Whoa. That's that that again. I think that that. Netflix is starting to pull a Weinstein. I think they're really like <laughs> muscling their way into all these awards. Oh, right. You know, I feel bad for A24. I think that that several of those spots, like I thought, yes, in terms of a culturally rich story with family drama and everything that and the humor and the sadness and and all the emotions of being part of a real family, you know, credit to Lulu Wang. Yes, she's a homegirl. Doesn't matter. She did such a great job. I laughed. I cried. I was excited. You know, I got angry at times with the characters. I felt it, man. It felt so real, that family dynamic. Didn't feel that in Marriage Story. Family films, yeah. both. But maybe it's because, yeah, maybe the ethnic families, the, the culturally diverse families, they just react differently to these situations. Yeah. You know, so maybe that's just part of... But again, that is a part of the storytelling. Who's, you know, that we're who's talking telling about. the story and from what perspective? Right. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Ah, food for thought. <laughs> that is. So... Well, you know, we have to say here at Screen Heat Miami that we do support culturally diverse experiences. Oh, yes. And talent. We don't have a choice. No, we don't. But ultimately, that's what America is made up of. Yeah. And that should be the output. So wrapping up on this one, we're looking forward to our next Screen Heat Miami. Oh, yeah. We're going to 22nd. Yes. We're moving. 22nd episode. It's it's a very talented filmmaker. She's uh, from our community, but does a lot of big stuff. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a filmmaker, director, producer, Shona Tuckman. Shona. Yes. Yeah. So she, we'll, and she's worked with some of my favorites, Sir Ben Kingsley. Oh, yes. Work with Sir Ben Kingsley. Work with a bunch of actors. Um, Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener, who is also originally from Miami, specifically yeah, from is. Hialeah. Hialeah. Yeah, she had actually, interesting Hialeah stories with Shona. 
yeah. couple of actors that she worked with from the the city of you Progress. You got to hear the next episode. It's going to be fun. So, yeah, we hope you check out Shona Tuckman. We hope you check out this episode. Please always leave us your comments. We're on social media. Uh, hit us up online, offline. And until then, this is JL Martinez. Kevin Sharpley. And this is the one and only Screen Heat Miami. Dolly. Boom. <laughs>